Father, you are Lord of the universe, Lord of all creation, Lord of this new year. You are on your throne, and we worship you, and we praise you. Father, we ask that we would be able to bring you the glory that's due your name. You are the foundation, the cornerstone. So a blessed uh, or blessed uh, new year to each and every one of you. I hope that you uh, have had time uh, with family and friends and loved ones. Uh, this last year has gone fast, uh, and we've all experienced a great deal of chaos. Uh, it's no exaggeration to say that the last year, or at least the last two years, uh, has not been easy. The COVID uh, pandemic has changed our world, and at least uh, the world as it is for the remainder of my lifetime anyway. Uh, yet here we are gathered to give thanks to God for the new year. And Barbara and I are also praising uh, God for the believers here. This is, in fact, our uh, fifth anniversary here. And in a mere nine months, uh, we'll have been uh, here longer than we've been anywhere in our 45 years of marriage. So uh, time has gone by so, so quickly. However, our involvement uh, began with uh, First Colony Bible Chapel in uh, about seven months earlier than, than that when we met uh, Dick Knorr in... Uh, at Iron Sharpens Iron uh, conference, it was that was in May, and when we came here the first time, we we felt a a fittedness, uh, like hand and glove, and we we feel the same way today as we did then. It seems appropriate then that I would make a few comments about the chapel. Now I'm not speaking on behalf of the elders; these are my thoughts. But take the pseudo suitable things and attribute them uh, to the elders, but any step, misstep will be mine. <laughs> like every year, 2022 is going to have uh, some twists and turns. And some things that we anticipate that will come to pass will come to pass. And yet there are things that we do not expect to happen that will happen. And that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a difficult thing. But over the past 22 months or so, COVID uh, has changed our world. But it has not changed God's character. It has not changed the strategy of God and how he deals with the world or his followers. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, God's word assures us that he is a never-changing God in an ever-changing world. And since God is changeless and His plan is intact and perfect, we fully understand that He remains on His throne 
even when things seem sometimes uh, dim. But as our sovereign, what is it exactly that he wants from his church? What does he want from our local assembly? And what is our mission, our vision, our values? And are we who we say we are? What's our condition? Now, I uh, regularly used uh, metric-driven assessments and church growth strategies as a military chaplain. And I'm no longer entirely in, in step with those notions. I, after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee became the president of Washington College in Virginia, and he fully supported the nation's reunification uh, that is, turning these United States into the United States, not something you think about very often. But you have to really dig deep to know that he did so, uh, uh, he marched out of step uh, every time he marched after the war. I, I don't presume, presume to know why he did that, but I do know that he did that deliberately. And I know that I'm out of step with metrics and I'm out of step with church growth strategies, as important as they may be. Instead, I evaluate my life and the life of First Colony Bible Chapel not based on attendance or giving or how many small groups we have or how many Wednesday night programs or the quality of the music or children's church or Sunday morning services, live streaming, IT, any of those things. I keep the metrics in my peripheral vision, uh, uh, but that's not how I evaluate. I evaluate based on who we are rather than what we do. At least annually, I, I think it's important for us to hear our mission, our vision, and our values from the pulpit. So our mission statement reads, through the teaching of God's word, we nurture and equip people for worshiping God, living godly lives, serving one another, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our vision statement is a vibrant, Christ-centered New Testament assembly, faithfully holding to the word of God, and creatively equipping each generation in Christ. Additionally, we have four core values. Grace, we foster acceptance, mercy, and compassion. We're accepted by God's grace alone, not by works. Therefore, we are a community that exhibits grace to imperfect people. We are, in fact, all imperfect people. Truth, we marvel at God's creation, trust in Christ, and believe God's word. God has spoken through creation, Christ, and his word. The written word is theopnostos, God breathed, and therefore free from error. Consequently, knowing Christ is the fountainhead of life and truth and humility, we submit to the word of God as our source for life godliness and truth, which is why uh, this pulpit is bibliocentric. 
is because it's based on the Word of God. Third, integrity. We do the right thing because God's Word is in our hearts. We conduct our lives in accordance with God's words. We are transparent, honest, and ethical in all our interactions with everyone. And finally, excellence. Attached to in the integrity, which we do the right thing, but we do the right thing in the right way. We believe that to be found as trustworthy stewards, we must persistently strive toward the best that God has for us. Understand that excellence in little things adds up to excellence in big things. Now, everything that I've mentioned is of vital importance, and I haven't even touched the doctrinal statement, which I won't today. Uh, everything is important. So I do understand that there is no being without doing, and I understand that there is no doing without being. Now, for some people, this is a stretch. Doing, that is completing tasks towards predetermined goals, uh, is the only way to operate. The notion of being is something that is less familiar. And yet being is how one experiences the present moment. And of course at different moments each one takes a priority. But they're never absent one another. I mean many of us, this doing is a real difficulty. Because many of us are in a perpetual state of doing. And it can be exhausting. Too much to do, too many roles to manage, unspoken lingering pressures because we know that the checklist never goes away. If you keep a checklist, you have a checklist. You have it with you now. It's in your purse, it's in your pocket, it's in your brain, and it is never complete, ever. And so consequently, there is a constant understanding that the doing is never done. On the other hand, being can bring about a sense of contentment and peace, at least in, in the moment. Again, both are necessary, right? Uh, but it seems to me that when Jesus tells us what he wants from us, it relates more to being than doing. So on what basis do I say that? There are two primary ways he gives us, I believe, to assess ourselves as individuals and as a church. First, Jesus desires once he actually asked this of the Lord, that we be unified. John 17, 20 through 23 tells us, I do not ask for these alone, that is the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. It could not be 
any clearer. Christ desires us to be unified. Second, not only that, but Jesus wants us to love others as he loves us. John 13, 34, and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now that tells us that unity isn't the only thing uh, that will make us different from the world and pleasing to God. It is also our love for one another in the same way that he loved us. So given those two primary criteria, how are we doing? Or better, who are we being? First, let me make just a couple of observations. My doctoral work revolved around this notion of risk and resiliency theory. And my research led me away from a problem-focused reference because all of that did was circled around the problem. The focus was always on what was wrong, and therefore the solutions were always on how to oil squeaky wheels or fix what was wrong. Risk and resiliency theory doesn't focus, well, it does focus on the problems that might break a system. I mean, you have to focus on those, but that's not where the the main focus lies. The main focus lies on what are the strengths, what are the gifts, what are the abilities that are present there. It's, it, the emphasis is on what is done right, not what is done wrong. And what I'd like to say is that under the, the leadership of the elders of this chapel and because of the focus on the strengths and gifts resident in this local body and their steadfast, non-reactionary bearing. That's how we managed to get through COVID here. First Colony has proven to be the most resilient church that I've ever been privileged to be a part of. Second, I spent a small part of my day yesterday playing pickleball in the gym. Uh, with a number of the believers here. I need to do more of that for multiple reasons. Uh, And that is a metaphor for life in the body here. I mean, we've often heard that a family that uh, prays together stays together. If I learn anything in my play therapy course at Dallas Seminary, it is that a family that plays together stays together. So a family that prays and plays together, it works. Back to John 17 and unity. Ah, what a chaotic world we live in and a divided one too. I'm only going to select one area. I could select seven. We've got Maskers and anti-maskers, no maskers, double maskers, triple maskers, vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, social, social distancers and not. Uh, handshakes and hugs 
have taken a hit. People hardly touch one another. You're lucky if you get an elbow, maybe a fist, you know. And if you're really excited, you can do the... <laughs> we have been pressed deeper and deeper into our own isolation. Anxiety is as high as it's ever been, I would say, in my lifetime, excluding perhaps the difficulties that Kennedy had with the then Soviet Union. Fear is on the near horizon. And our country and our world are divided. And on top of it all, every time we turn on the news, we hear uncertain and contradictory sounds from our authorities all the time. I mean, the quote... The CDC now recommends has actually become a punchline. Uh, the Babylon Bee, I, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I, I guess I recommend it. I wouldn't mention it if I didn't, I guess. It's a satirical website. Well, anyway, they joined in the fun. They had a picture of a man in a park with a seatbelt on, standing there. And the caption read, the CDC now recommends wearing a seatbelt even when you're outside your car. So our society has been shredded by this. This has been going on for so long that you would be hard-pressed to remember what it was before. It has consumed us and our minds, and it has divided our country, our communities, and our world. But has it divided First Colony Bible Chapel? No. Why? Because we understand that unity is not determined by uniformity, or even a lack of uniformity. Our unity is not found in whether we mask or not, whether we're vaxxed or not. It is found in solely whether Jesus Christ is our Savior. The military, the medical community, first responders, teachers, and many others have been divided over this, and it's even crept into the church at large. But it is not crept into our church. Every Sunday morning we gather to remember the sacrifice our Lord Jesus Christ made for us. And no matter where you sit, on the right or on the left, literally or metaphorically, we are unified by the presence of the one who loved us and gave his life for us. That is the basis of our unity. It always has been, and it always will be. The elders have taken great pains to ensure that every voice was, has been, and is continually heard. We've attempted to thread a needle of a moving COVID target which regularly shifts. And by God's grace, while the last two years has generated uh, much discussion, the discussion has brought light and not heat. You know, there are 
you know the difference. Galatians 4.4, 4, it reads, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That we've discussed several times what happened between the ministry of Malachi and the ministry of John uh, the Baptist and how important it is to understand God's working in history. We refer to that as the, well, everyone essentially refers to that as the 400 silent uh, years. But few other verses in the Bible other than Galatians 4.4 4 here uh, show that our God is a God of order and balance. And, and, and this verse is such a comfort in that area. He is not like, he's not like the person who goes out Maybe for Christmas someone got one of these, I don't know, a bow and arrow and shoots the arrow off into some field somewhere, goes and finds it and takes his bucket of paint and makes a bullseye around it and said, I hit the target. He doesn't do that. He knows exactly what he wants. He has a plan, he has a purpose and an appointed time for every move that he makes to include when Jesus Christ came to this earth. I mean, when C.S. Lewis was an atheist, he rejected the idea of a divine being. And the reason he did so was because of injustice. <laughs> Actually, that's the same reason I did uh, as well. The difference, though, that's the only time I think I can be mentioned in the same sentence with Lewis, but him being much smarter than me, he actually thought it through and he said, where do I get this idea of justice in the first place? I mean, he wrote, man doesn't call a line crooked unless he has some notion of what a straight line is. He went on to say that he was angry at the God who was not there. I mean, we can't speak of disunity unless we have some notion of unity. And through Christ we have unity. So... In answer to the first question, a simple witness to our communion service shows that in accordance with the scripture, the world and Satan has not succeeded in dividing this church. We are unified in Christ. As to the second, loving one another, John 13, 34 and 35, I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus spoke these words immediately after he washed their uh, feet. Not something that uh, we do in this church, not something commonly uh, done. This word that he gave was not a suggestion. It was a commandment. This love we are to have for one another is not optional. It is a requirement. In fact, it's something that marks us. We find something of this kind of love in Philippians 2.25 where we are told that Epaphroditus risked his life to make up for the help you could not give me. The word risk there means to recklessly expose oneself to danger. You may recall Kenny Rogers' song, The Gambler. That's what the word means. It means to gamble. 
Epaphroditus gambled his life. It's used of the word, uh, the gladiator who willingly fought. He gambled with his life. It's used of poker games where the stakes included uh, where one's life even could be on the line. And in 252 A.D., an organization came into being called the Hor the Hoy Parabolonoi, the gamblers. So, and it came about because Carthage, there was a, uh, an epidemic there, far, far more deadly than, than COVID. And everyone fled except for those who could not move and a fellow by the name of Cyprian and his congregation. And they tended to the sick, they cleaned, and they did what they could to save the city. And the love they demonstrated was of the same quality as the love of Christ, just as I have loved you. This is a sentiment that should be deeply embedded in our hearts, that we should not judge the quality of, of your love or my love by comparing uh, yourself or myself with others, but with Christ. And we we do this, there is only one possible response, and that is humility. When I was growing up, the men in my life uh, told me the problem was not getting into a fight, it was losing a fight. Uh, when I got into fights, I was beaten again if I lost. And, and that's the world. With Christ, if someone strikes you, on the right cheek, you turn them the left cheek also. We understand the golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated. The world expects you to insult when you are insulted. The world expects uh, you to love only the people who love you. The world expects you to strike back, or frankly, in many cases, to strike first. But Christ has called us to something different. He wants us to love the unlovable. He wants us to pray for those who give us grief. He went to the cross to show us that kind of love. And even though we were sinners, Christ died at that point and showed the kind of love that he had. So when we respond with kindness and compassion and forgiveness, we love, we demonstrate to the world something greater than it has ever seen. We show it a better way, God's way. We become a reflection of God's glory in this dark and lost world that's filled with hatred and sin. So in answer to the second great question, are we loving one another so that others know that we are followers of Jesus Christ? Koinonia is real, and love is present here. We are known to be a friendly church. This is evident. We give we love, we care, and even in the midst of the constraints of our world, our ministries are flourishing. So what then is uh, my summary statement upon our 
fifth anniversary here. As one might say in the State of the Union, the state of the chapel is strong. I know that some people come to churches and in their mind they write Ichabod over the door. Ichabod meaning the, the glory is departed. By the way, no one would know anything of uh, such a thing if it wasn't in Washington Irving uh, short story. You would have never heard of Ichabod. But in my heart, here at First Colony uh, Bible Chapel, I write something that most people aren't familiar with precisely because it wasn't in his uh, short story. Elohim Nimsakan. The Lord is found in this place. Father, we are grateful and thankful for who you are. Lord, we wouldn't know anything about unity were it not for you. In that passage, Lord, where, where your, your son multiple times, let this be, let this be, that they be unified, you and me and us and them and they and us. It's an enormous thought-provoking passage. But there's more than unity. There's also love. Not just not some emotional, as important as that is, but loving in the quality that your son Jesus Christ did in giving himself for others. And so we are grateful and we are thankful that we know these things because we have your word. We cling to your word because outside of that and your spirit within us uh, guiding us to truth, we uh, would remain lost in our hearts, our minds, and our lives. So, Lord, this new year, 2022, we know little about what will happen, but we do know this. You are on your throne and we, your subjects, are at the ready to do your bidding. Thank you through Christ our Lord. Amen.